0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Joseph interprets two prisoners' dreams, how we should incorporate God's name in our everyday conversation, and then how do we react whenever we've been in a bad situation and then we get out and everything is going well. Genesis 40. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. So I haven't done the podcast in a couple of weeks because of the coronavirus chaos, And I thought I'd get a lot of writing done where whenever we got this back up and going, I would have all of the Joseph study done and online for y'all. But it hasn't happened like that because, again, it's just chaos. So, anyway, we're going to go ahead and continue with our episodes. I do want to remind you about what we talked about the last time. Now, Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery. And he was sold to a man named Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh's guard. And God was with him while he was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household because he had so much favor on Joseph. But Potiphar's wife also favored Joseph, and she wanted him to sleep with her, and he refused, and so she cried rape, and Potiphar threw him into prison. Now, if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because we did talk about God's favor on Joseph, even though he was suffering in slavery. And then we talked a lot about false accusations and kind of what to be aware of in relationships. And then we ended with talking about God having a plan. You know, what's He doing in the midst of suffering? That had a lot of good life lessons in it, a lot of good biblical information about what to do whenever you're in a hard time, and just a little bit of encouragement about trusting God in those times. And so if you happen to miss that one, you will want to go back, especially if you're listening in real time right now because of all of the things that are going on in the world right now and how the whole country is in a hard time right now. So anyway, now we're going to move on and see what happened to Joseph after he was thrown into prison. Now I'm going to back up just a little bit because I want you to remember what state he was in whenever he was in prison. And so we're going to begin reading in Genesis 39, 19. And it says, so it was when the master heard the words that his wife had spoken to him and said, your servant did to me after this manner that he was angry.'" And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all of the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison didn't look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And so just like when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, the person that was in authority over him trusted him and put him as second in charge. That's where we begin this week's lesson. So let's start reading in Genesis 40. It says, It came to pass after these things that the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with the two officers, and the chief cupbearer and the baker. And so he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Okay, so why would the cupbearer and the baker be the two people that got put in prison at the exact same time by the king? Think about what these people do. Both of them are responsible for what goes into the king's mouth, right? The food and the drink. And so it seems that Pharaoh had suspicion that someone might be trying to poison him. And he wasn't sure which one to find guilty on that matter. And so he threw them both into prison just to make sure that he was safe. Now, this sounds kind of like house arrest, right? I mean, they're not chained up in a dungeon somewhere. They may be in a basement or something of that nature in a house, but it doesn't sound like they're just chained up. It says that Joseph is taking care of them. He's been put in charge of their care, and it says that they're there for a while, right? That's what it says at the end. They're in custody for a while. So let's go ahead and read 5 through 8. It says, Then the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning, and looked at them, and saw that they were sad." So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, Well, we've each had a dream, and there's no interpreter for it. And so Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. So this was a very common thing back in Egypt that they would have interpreters for their dreams. But now that these men are in prison, they can't go and consult an interpreter. And so they don't know what is going on in their dreams. And Joseph explains to them, well, God is the one that gives the dreams and he's the one that knows their meaning. So tell me because I can consult him and find out what it is that is going on with you guys. And I just want us to pause right there for a moment and just notice how easily Joseph talks about the Lord. It just seems to be in his everyday conversation, right? He's not teaching anyone about God. He's not telling them about the Bible. He's not giving them information about how to be saved. None of those things. He's just talking about God because God is just an important person in his life, right? And he knows that God is the one that's in charge of dreams. And so he just says that. God is the one that's in charge of dreams and I don't know about y'all, but I had to actually think to put that type of thing into practice because it's not something that I did naturally in the beginning. You know, I would talk about God when I was at church. I would talk about God when I was having a conversation with someone about God. I would talk about God whenever I was teaching or learning, but just to mention His name in passing to someone else or just talk about Him as another present person in my life was something That I had to make a conscious point to do. And you know, it probably should be one of those things that you know he is just a present person in our lives and just someone that we talk about freely and might not should be something that we have to make a point to do or be aware of. But even if we are aware of it and we don't have to make a point, are we bold enough to do that? You know, even after I I began to make a point to do it, there were times where I would second guess myself, you know, where I would think to myself myself, I don't even know this person. I don't know if they're a believer or not. You know, to mention God is kind of a a risky thing to do, which is really odd because we don't have any real repercussions for that, especially I didn't. But, you know, when I first began just talking about him, I would just say things like, oh, that's a beautiful sky that God made. Or, you know, I wish it rained like it did before the flood and it just seeped from the ground because I hate the rain. You know, stuff like that. That's the first types of things that I began again, to just incorporate it into my everyday conversation. But then as time was going on, I would think those things and think, am I really going to say that, you know, and we just have to decide that yes, we are. We're just going to go ahead and say those things because, you know, I'm always comforted as a Christian whenever I hear someone else do that because I'm like, oh, you're a Christian. Okay, great. Now I can talk with you more freely. And if they're not a Christian, maybe it will bring up conversation that you can talk to them about God. And, and, And that's so much easier, right? It's so much easier to say, you know, what a beautiful sunset that God made, as opposed to saying, let me tell you about God. You know, let me explain the gospel to you. But it's an Opening, right? So we can do that after we make those statements, then it may open up a conversation where it would be less awkward for us to have a deep conversation with another person about God. So that might be the case. It might be the case that it opens absolutely nothing up, but it makes a person think. Or it may have absolutely no effect on them whatsoever. But either way, the chances of it being something that is even uncomfortable for us after we've said it is probably pretty slim. And so we really need to be able to get over that and just say those things and speak freely about Him. Because if you notice that since we see Joseph do this now and then, we know that he must have done it all the time. And you see that that shows other people that he belongs to God. And when they see his prosperity and his success, they accredit that to God just because they know he's a believer. So, Even if it changes absolutely nothing in the very moment, it may let other people see God through you and in your life and let them see God in their own lives in a different way than they ever have before. So I just wanted to take note of that because I was just aware of how easily it came to him. And again, like I said, how he wasn't teaching anyone or telling them specifically about God, he was just talking about God. There's a difference between telling someone about God and just talking about him. And I think that that's something that we need to incorporate into our everyday lives. So I just wanted to talk about that real quick before we moved on to these people's dreams. Now let's go ahead and read about the first dream. I want you to pay very close attention to what the cupbearer is dreaming. And when we get finished with this dream, before Joseph interprets it, we're going to analyze it just a little bit. So verse 9 says, Then the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and he said, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it had budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Okay, so notice the first thing that's happening is that... He's performing his old job, right? He just dreamed about doing his job. But notice how detailed his dream was and how careful he was in doing his job. Does this sound like a man that is poisoning the king? Notice how he watches the grapes grow, basically. He says they budded and then they blossomed and then they had clusters of ripe grapes. He knew exactly where this wine came from and then he pressed it himself, and then he took the cup personally to the king himself. So he knew exactly where the wine came from, and he did not allow it to touch anyone else's hands, right? It was just him from literally the moment that it was made, taken directly from nature, not from another person. He didn't pour this out of a cup, and then he didn't hand it to a servant to take to the king or anything like that. He took it directly to the king. So it would be very difficult for this to be poison because he took that much care in giving this to the king. Okay, so let's see Joseph's interpretation beginning in verse 12. It says, And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner as when you were his cupbearer. So Joseph said the three branches represent three days. In three days, he's going to lift your head in honor and restore you to your rightful place. You're going to do this for him again. You're going to serve the king again. Now let's read on in verse 14, it says, But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I've done nothing here that should put me in this dungeon. So Joseph knows two things from this dream, that Pharaoh is a man that is willing to free a person if he finds out that they are not guilty of the crime that they have been accused of. And he also knows that the cupbearer understands what it's like to be falsely imprisoned. And so he feels like he can appeal to the cupbearer and say, Hey, you're about to have the king's ear. You are going to be restored and you're going to be honored and he's going to listen to you and we know that he already frees the guiltless and so I need you to go to him since you understand what it's like to be falsely imprisoned and explain to him that I was also falsely imprisoned and persuade him to let me out. That all makes good sense, right? Okay, so let's go ahead and move on beginning in verse 16. It says, When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So let's contrast this dream with the cupbearer's dream. Was this baker as careful about doing his job as the baker? It doesn't seem like it to me. Notice, first of all, that these baskets are on his head. So he can't even see them. He doesn't even know what's going on up there. Someone could drop something in the top of that basket that's up on his head and he wouldn't have a clue, right? Second of all, it says there were all kinds of baked goods. So that's different than the cupbearer's dream where he knew exactly where all of the drink came from. He saw the vine growing these grapes, and then he took these grapes, and he pressed them himself, and he put them in the glass, and then he held the glass in front of his body where he could see what was happening to it, and he took it directly to the king. Well, it says here that there's various different foods in this, so it kind of gives the impression that he really may not know what all's in there. It's just a bunch of food. And what happens when you just have a whole bunch of different things all in a big basket? It's pretty easy for someone to slip something in there without you having any awareness of it whatsoever because you probably don't even know what all's in there in the first place and you're not going to notice if there's some extra thing in there. And then lastly, he left these baskets just wide open. There's no cover on them or anything, and so the birds are just able to swoop down and get a little bite, and he seems completely careless about it. So, the birds are continuously coming down, messing with his food, and he isn't even covering it up. So, that sounds much more like a person, right, that is not doing very well at his job, first of all and not very careful, and something easily could happen to the king's food with a man that's careless like that. So let's see what Joseph's interpretation of the dream is. Verse 18, it says, So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Notice how it says in the first dream that the king will lift the cupbearer's head and restore him to his rightful position. And then this time it says he will lift his head off of his body and hang him on a tree. The first one, the cupbearer, his head is being lifted in honor. He's saying, hold your head up high. You've done nothing wrong. You will now be honored and restored back to your position. But the other one, his head is being lifted right up off of his body in complete dishonor. And then not only that, but instead of the birds eating the food that belonged to the king, they're going to be feeding on the man's dead body. That's not graphic, huh? (laughs) And you know... To us, it may sound like he was hung because it says you will hang on a tree. And so we think of a rope hanging around your neck and like maybe somehow this guy's, you know, neck came completely disconnected from his body or something like that. But I haven't really heard of any kind of hangings like that in the Bible. And so what I do know is that often whenever they would kill someone, they would impale their body on a stake for all of the rest of the people to see so that they would know that this person had been dishonored and that they had been killed. And so most likely they cut his head off and then hanging him on a tree would be impaling him on this stake like a branch of the tree that's stuck in the ground. So both of them are going to happen in three days, but it's going to be the complete opposite things. So let's go ahead and move on. Verse 20, it says, Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hung the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So everything happened just as Joseph said that it would. But whenever the chief cupbearer got out of prison, he did not tell Pharaoh about Joseph and did not help get him out. And, you know, we don't really know if he even agreed to it. Joseph asked him to, but we don't know if he said, oh, yes, definitely. As soon as I get out of this mess, I will definitely, you know, tell the king about you. We don't know if that happened, but we do know that he forgot. And so maybe he just got out and he got busy and he just was busy doing his job and he didn't really think to talk to Pharaoh about it. Maybe he really didn't have all that much pull and wasn't really able to talk to Pharaoh about anything like that. He may not have been able to approach him like that. Also, maybe he was ashamed. Maybe he didn't really want to bring up to Pharaoh how he had gotten in trouble and Pharaoh was mad at him and all of these bad things had happened. Maybe he just wanted to forget about all the bad things and not really think about them anymore. Don't really want to bring up that bad time, you know, that difficult time in my life. Let's just move on. Let's just go about my business and have a happy life. You know, let's not worry about that. Those are at least tendencies of things that people will do, right? Whenever we get out of our bad situation, it's very easy for us to forget the people that helped us along the way or just try to put that entire thing out of our mind or just get busy doing our regular normal life again because we have the capability to do that and just not really take any of the lessons that we learned from those difficult times or any of the things that we decided that we were going to do and actually do anything about them. You know, oftentimes we do make promises whenever we're in a hard situation, right? We'll say, oh, if I'll just get out of this mess, you know, I'm going to do this and this and this. Just like if this cut bear had promised that to Joseph, you know, oh yes, when I get out, I'll I'll help you. I definitely will. You know, we'll do anything whenever we're in a bad situation to get out of it. We'll make any kind of promise. And most of the time, we really do have full intention of doing those things. But then again, we get busy or we decide that we're too ashamed or we don't want to bring it up. We just want to forget about it, whatever. But if you're Joseph, that doesn't feel very good, right? If you're the person that the promise was made to or you're the person the person that had helped that other person, or you're the Lord and you really wanted that person to learn something through this difficult time, or even someone else that is close to that person that you needed them to learn something during that time and take something away from that, then it doesn't feel that great. And so even though these are natural tendencies to do, we need to be very careful of them. We need to be very careful of being unappreciative and not doing what we should during the good times because they're good, because we don't need God, or we don't need the help of that other person, or we're just too busy and self-centered, or whatever the case may be. That's not the kind of people that we want to be. So We're just going to finish the rest of our time talking about this, about how do we act whenever we get out of the prison that we're in, whenever we get out of the difficult situation that we're in, how do we handle ourselves? Both of these verses that we're going to be talking about are found in the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is the book that is written or spoken to the Israelites just before they go into the promised land. And so it's all of these instructions to them of, make sure when you get there, do this, don't do this, remember this, those types of things. And so they're about to go into the promised land, and these are the things that they're told. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, it says... So it shall be, when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you didn't build, houses full of all these good things which you didn't fill, hewn out wells which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant, when you've eaten and you're full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage." And so that's kind of what he did, right? That's what this cupbearer did. He forgot Joseph when he got out of his place of bondage. Whenever he was free again and his life was back to normal or it was good, then he forgot about Joseph. And that's what God is telling the Israelites here. He's like, hey, whenever you get to this beautiful place that I gave you that you didn't work for, that you didn't do anything to deserve, and I take you to that place, remember that I'm the one that took you out of slavery in the first place. I'm the one that freed you. And even though Joseph didn't actually free him, he told him about his freedom and he owed him something and he just forgot about him. Now, the other passage is the entire chapter 8 in Deuteronomy. So we're just going to read all of that. I want y'all to just listen. This is the same thing. God was telling Moses in that part, hey, tell the people this. And so now Moses is telling them, and he just goes into a lot of detail. So I want you to listen to this. It says, Every commandment that I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. So this is Moses talking to him, and he's telling him, when you get there, don't forget to obey God. Remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these forty years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, He allowed you to hunger, and He fed you with manna that you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God." And your garments didn't wear out on you, nor did your feet swell for these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. So he says, hey, you know, remember what it was like. Remember your bondage. Don't forget these hard times. Remember that God took the food from you so that you would depend upon him. Take the lessons that you learned from that time and apply them to your life whenever you have abundance. Remember the lacking so that you can appreciate the abundance and where it came from. Remember that you wandered in the desert for 40 years and your feet didn't swell and your shoes didn't wear out. How did that happen? You know, Don't forget how hard it was and who brought you out of that. Do not forget that bad time because you learn lessons during that time that you need to take with you in the good times. Now, listen in verse 6 Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley. Of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land of which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you've eaten and you are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that He's given you. So do you notice this when he just keeps telling him all the good things that they're going to get whenever they get in this land? And notice how he even says, you're going to have bread without scarcity because they didn't even have bread before and God had to give them the manna for them to have any kind of sustenance at all. And so he says, look at all of what you're going to have in this new place where you lack nothing. You know, before they lacked everything. They had absolutely nothing. Now they have everything and they lack nothing. So it's complete contrast, and so he's telling him, when you get into the land, and you have all of these things, and you have eaten, and you are full, then bless God for the good land that he's given you. Praise him and give him credit for taking you out of that place of lacking and giving you abundance. Listen to verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten, and you're full, and you've built beautiful houses, and you live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt in the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land, where you had no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers didn't know that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end then you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth so he says be careful Be careful when you get full, when you live in these houses that are beautiful and all of your herds multiply and all of your money multiplies and everything that you have multiplies. Be careful not to get proud, not to forget God who took you out of your bondage, and who led you and sustained you when you had absolutely nothing. Be careful not to forget him and then say to yourself that all of these things you have because of your own ability, because you are so powerful and you are so great. Be careful not to do that because remember God brought you into a house that you didn't build and into a land flowing with milk and honey. Already, you didn't have to plant a thing. It is not of you. It is of Him. So do not forget where you came from. Do not forget your hard times. Remember them and take what you learned from those times of how you learned to depend on the Lord. Take that and apply it to your time of abundance where you can thank Him for those times Thank Him for bringing you out of that difficult time and for giving you this time of abundance. This is the last part, verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gave you the power to get this wealth, that He may establish His covenant with you, that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And so it just says exactly what I said before. God's the one that gave you this. And if you forget and you follow other gods and you serve other gods instead of me, whenever I'm the one that's done all of these things for you, then I will let what happened to these other nations happen to you. Because if you don't want to be thankful to me for what I've given you, then you won't have it anymore. So I just think that we have to be careful because when we're in difficult times, we do learn a lot and we do make a lot of promises to get out of those things. And we just have to be careful that when we get out, we don't forget. We do not allow ourselves to just put that time out of our mind, but we let ourselves remember who it is that got us out of that and all of the things that were painful so that we can appreciate what we have now and so that we can apply all of the things that we learned in our difficult times to the good times. You know, we don't want to be the kind of people that have to have bad times in order to be brought to the Lord, right? I want to read you one more passage. I didn't actually intend to do this, but I'm going to. So this may not be in your lesson, but I want you to look at Amos 4, beginning in verse 6. This is God talking to the people, and he says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in your places. So basically he said, I gave you no food. And yet you haven't returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when you were still three months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city and withheld rain from another city. One part was rained on and the other part did not rain and withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they weren't satisfied. And you still didn't return to me. I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees, and then the locusts devoured them, and you still didn't return to me. So he said, I let your food grow, but then I made the locust come and eat it, and I made things mildew. You didn't get to profit from any of it, and yet you didn't return to me. I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with the sword, along with your captive horses— I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils, and you still didn't return to me. Okay, so do you see how God is every time he's trying to draw the people to him? He keeps saying, you know, I gave you no bread, and you didn't come to me. I thought you would come to me, and you would ask me, hey, help me. I'm hungry, but you didn't. And then I made it where it wouldn't rain, so you couldn't even have any crops, and you still didn't come to me. And then I let your crops grow, but then I made the locusts eat them and you still didn't return to me. And then I sent plagues that killed a lot of you, and you didn't come to me. And I let the wars kill you, and you didn't return to me. All of these things I did to draw you to me, and you still didn't come. Well, a lot of times we do come, right? The other part was the opposite of it. They did come to him in the hard times. Whenever they lacked food, they went to the Lord and he gave them manna. When they didn't have any water, he made the water come out of the flinty rock, right? They did go to him. But as soon as they had this abundance, they had no need for him anymore. So we don't need to be those kind of people. We don't need to be the people that make promises whenever we're in the hard times. And then as soon as we get out of it, we forget where we came from. And we don't need to be the kind of people that whenever we're in the good times, we need God to give us lacking so that we will turn to Him. We need to be the type of people that whenever we are in abundant times, we are able to praise Him. We're able to see where it's coming from, and we are able to thank Him and look to Him and learn from Him so that he does not have to bring us into a time of lacking for us to turn to him or a difficult time for us to turn to him. But if we are in a difficult time, then we need to turn to him and we need to listen to him and we need to learn what it is that he has for us to learn. Listen and pay attention and then carry that out whenever he carries us out of our difficult time. Make sure that you take the lessons that you learned from that time into your good times so that he doesn't have to take you back to that place for you to learn that again. Don't be the kind of person that so badly wants to forget. You know, it's it really is easy. When things are hard, we do just want to forget them. We just want to pretend they never happened and move on. But that is not the way God works. He uses every circumstance to grow us. He uses every circumstance to make us more like Him and so we need to take from those circumstances exactly what it is that He is using them for. Nothing is wasted with God. No circumstance is wasted. There's always a reason for the things that are happening to us. God would not allow something to happen to us if there wasn't a purpose for it. And so we need to look for that purpose and we need to take it with us whenever we get out of that situation. So that's hard stuff to do, but we need to work on it. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how Joseph does actually end up getting out of prison. And so, his time of suffering is going to be over, and we're going to see God's fulfillment for his life. And so, make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. And leave me comments wherever you're listening. I'd like to know what you're thinking. Also, leave me a five-star review if you're enjoying this. Share it with your friends. And then just make sure to join me here next week for Joseph getting out of prison. Thanks and have a good day.